Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Holy sweet mother of God shit. Hello, hello, hello. What, what, the, what the hell are you doing? I hope no one's eating dinner. The next best thing, every Monday night from 10 until midnight on Radio Free Brooklyn. Fun for everyone except for dear Jesus. Something like that. Can you hear me? One second. Testing. One, two, three. Are we on? Great. Anywho, before we get into what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world, let's do the housekeeping that we always have to take care of. Let's just get it out of the way right off the top. You can tweet at us. We are at NextBestRadio. That's at NextBestRadio. Or go ahead and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Facebook. A lot of stuff gets posted on our Facebook page, stuff that we talk about in any given episode information, links to pertinent sites, all that stuff usually goes up on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash NBT radio. And lastly, we do ask you to remember that we are fully listener and producer supported. If you like what you hear on Radio Free Brooklyn, if you like what you hear tonight, please consider going to our website, going to this show's page and donating a little something-something to keep us in business. Uh, If you feel so inclined, you can go to rfb.nyc slash nbt. Again, that's rfb.nyc slash nbt. Oh, man, that was exhausting, wasn't it? It was for me. I'm sure it was for you, too. So, that's all the housekeeping I can think of right now. If I've forgotten anything... Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Good. I hope everyone had a glorious President's Day. We celebrate President's Day because I believe it falls on George Washington's birthday. And so we celebrate him and all of the best presidents we've had. Presidents like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Harry S. Truman, of course, FDR, Teddy Roosevelt, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, question mark. We talk and we celebrate, we talk about and we celebrate the best presidents we've had, but we often just kind of gloss over those failures, those real, you know, shitholes that we like to um, pretend never happened, if you know what I mean, and I know you do. But tonight we're going to talk about those sons of bitches, because how could we not? I mean, in the world we live in, in the climate we live in here today, good presidents... They just don't seem relevant. We have a great guest coming in. Uh, my good friend Christo Grabowski is coming in. He and I work together, and we often debate various things. We debate things like he is a huge fan of FDR, and he likes to shit on my main man, Harry S. Truman. What? And I should tell you this up front before he even gets here. Good friend of mine, Christo Grabowski, but the truth of the matter is that... um. He is a little, uh, I'm just kidding. He's really not crazy at all. A very smart guy, great guy, looking forward to having him. We'll talk about all of the horrible, all of the worst presidents, and they're not just our opinions. They're who are consistently ranked by the various polls and scholars as the worst presidents we've ever had. Donald Trump has been a gift to all of them. How could anyone look bad? compared to who's sitting, squatting, whatever you want to call it, in the White House today. They really couldn't. You have a guy like Richard Nixon, who, regardless of what you think of his presidency, he did go down in flames. He was a, ironically enough, he was a crook. But 
you know, if you're looking at him or Donald Trump, you look at Donald Trump and you think, Oh my God, no! I'll take Richard Nixon any day of the week. Any day of the goddamn week, I tell ya. You're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So, if you'd like to support our mission so we can continue to bring you quality community radio, we invite you to make a one-time donation or monthly pledge at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. You can donate as little as a dollar, and every cent helps helps us to continue to stay on the air. So please, please help support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. And remember, RFB is a 501c3 nonprofit, so your contribution is tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Again, that's RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. This is the next best thing. All right. Before we can talk about future horrible presidents, let's talk about some of the past horrible presidents because it is president's day and my guest tonight as i mentioned earlier is christo grabowski do explain your home story you're from north carolina uh my family we we have a house in north carolina uh and when i was younger uh i did grow up overseas always in africa but um jumping around a lot from country to country. Uh, my dad does NGO work, so we just followed him wherever he was posted. And that stands for? It's a non-governmental aid work, essentially. Oh. Um, so Save the Children, companies like that. Um, That's a real company? Yes. Oh, cool. Yeah, my dad worked with them for a long time. Um, wow. But yes, we have a house in North Carolina, which is kind of our base of operations. But you really did grow up in Africa. Yes, yeah. First moved to the States when I was 18 years old, came here for college. So naturally... It would make sense for you to come here tonight to discuss American presidents. Yes, because I'm clearly an expert on... Actually, yeah, no, it, it, I, I'm a history person in general. Right. I find history fascinating. Um, U.S. history is definitely not my forte because, what? you know, it was not a part of the curriculums at the schools I was going to. But we've talked, so let's... I gave a little background before you got here, but we work together and we have a very, you know, that bygone debate that everyone has about how great or not so great Harry Truman and FDR yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, we do. We talk about that a lot, actually. Well, let's talk about it really quickly now. We have some time. Sure. So why do you think Harry S. Truman was so much better than FDR? That is not <laughs> an opinion that I necessarily uh, You hate hold. Harry Truman. I, I, I don't hate Harry Truman. Why do you hate him so much? I, I, uh, my feelings, uh, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's an obvious argument to make, but I also think it's a strong argument to make is, you know, he ultimately had the final say in how the atomic bombs were, were used, where they were dropped. Um, not how, but whether or not. Well, yes, but but how they were employed and that involves the decision, you know, do we drop it on a purely military target or do we target civilians? Um, it was a circumstance that was extreme. I certainly can't speak to what I would have done in his position, but you can't No, but he ultimately, you know, he made the choice to drop the bombs on civilian targets. And uh, I just personally find that hard to excuse. That's all. Now, wait a second. Yes. So your issue isn't that he used the atomic bomb, it's that he dropped them on a non-ideal target? Yes. There were military bases in Hiroshima. But but you could, or he could have chosen, I believe, uh, to have spent more time seeking out military targets that were not in uh, heavily populated civilian zones. Okay. I do think that his 
generals and stuff probably influenced this decision. Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, but I, I'm just saying ultimately, you know, the final say You hate is. the atomic bomb. I get that. No, I mean, I hate the atomic bomb too. My only problem is you love FDR and he's <laughs> the one who oversaw the creation of it and he would have used it had he lived. I, I it's okay. I don't. Well, that's F, true. F, FDR, I, I think I have a lot of respect for his many accomplishments. Like um, four terms. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's impressive. Um, look, at the end of the day, FDR it's entirely possible might have made the exact same choice that Harry Truman did. Um, of course he would have. I, and I don't doubt it. You know, honestly, when you look at some of his, uh, his other ideas about how we would treat Germany post-World mm -hmm. War II, uh, they were pretty scary and draconian. I mean, he, there was one of his arguments, I think earlier on was he wanted to essentially bomb them back to the stone age. But you know, okay. So here's the thing, but here's why I love Harry Truman. So goddamn much. Uh, tell me. I would love to hear. Have you not heard it before? I have, but I'd love okay, to hear it. I'll tell everyone. First of all, they're both usually ranked very high. Mm -hmm. Harry Truman, I think, when I was looking at these most recent lists, came in at like six, and I think FDR averaged at five. So literally, they're neck yeah, to neck. Yeah, neck to neck. I'm surprised that people like FDR so much. After, you know, the Japanese internment camps, the fact that he was in office for till he literally, till he dropped dead. Yeah. But here's why I like Harry Truman so much. So he was FDR's third vice president. They really didn't know each other. No. So much so that they hardly even spoke. I mean, like, literally, they had spoke, like, once or twice, ever. So he picked Harry Truman out of obscurity, probably for some political reason. Harry Truman had been, had been a very modest Kansas Cityan. He really had been, like, a failed general store manager. Suddenly, he went, goes from being a senator to being vice president, and then goes to the White House, is summoned to the White House, is told by Eleanor Roosevelt... My husband's dead. And he goes, well, I'm sorry. Is there anything I can do for you? And she says, oh, no. Is there anything we can do for you? You're in trouble now. He literally had to become president without even any warning. I mean, like, it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm the vice president. How crazy is this? What? Yeah. I'm president? And then, you know, with containment of Russia, it was like communism versus capitalism. That was handled well. Plus, he also put really good people around him and just used common sense. And I think that he did a remarkable job in that way for being thrust into it. And I think it was a dereliction of duty of FDR to literally be knocking. It's not like he had a heart attack on the campaign trail and dropped dead. He knew he was going to die. And he in no way prepared his vice president to take over. Didn't even tell him that they had been building this new thing called the atomic bomb. But we do have to get it because I want to get all these guys in Yeah, let's, let's get to it. So, everyone's favorite president is Millard Fillmore. That, absolutely. No <laughs> Most doubt. Most people it could never pick him out of a lineup. I, I probably couldn't. I don't think I could either. Yeah, he was the, what, the, the 15th? He was the 13th. We're going to give our opinions on these guys, but these really are taken from a general polls of, like, taken annually by scholars, by various universities and stuff. And these guys are almost always ranked in the bottom cellar dwellers. So here's a quick recap of who this brilliant guy was. Number 13, Millard Fillmore, Whig, 1850 to 1853, 50 years old, from New York. Unlucky number 13, Millard Fillmore was an accidental president. Some have called him the Gerald Ford of his day. Considered so unremarkable, a Millard Fillmore Society used to gather annually at his gravesite to lampoon his forgotten presidency. He was a rather strong president. 
considering the fact that he was a, an accidental president, and, not, and those presidents always have a difficult time establishing their, their mark. Millard Fillmore hadn't even met Zachary Taylor until after they were elected. Seen as Taylor's opposite, Fillmore was picked merely to balance the ticket geographically and politically. Fillmore was a northerner, an affable man who was always dressed impeccably. He was a bookworm and a hands-off manager. He aimed to please and appease rather than lead. He was a kind of colorless character who believed in compromise, who deferred to congressional leadership. According to most observers, bland, friendly, willing to make you feel that you had said something important, and just generally fitting in. And yet, behind this amiable personality lurked a man with backbone. Bitter at feeling overlooked by Taylor's cabinet, Fillmore fired all of them. Fillmore continued to exert his newfound power by reversing the policy of his predecessor and signing the Compromise of 1850 into law. Fillmore said, no, I'm in now and I'm going to change the government's policy. Taylor was all wrong about the Compromise of 1850. Fillmore supported slavery because he believed its abolition would lead to a collapse of the southern economy. 60% of U.S. exports came out of the cotton states by 1860. So to abolish slavery was to abolish an economic system. Fillmore also believed that slavery was protected by the Constitution and that by signing the compromise he would somehow put the issue to rest forever. What he failed to grasp were the moral consequences and he blamed abolitionists for making slavery an issue. He was totally opposed to the abolitionists. He thought they were troublemakers, fanatics. Fillmore was content with the compromise because he thought it would preserve the status quo. For some, however, it only served to strengthen their resolve against slavery. By supporting the compromise, Fillmore hoped to please everyone, but instead he ended up pleasing no one, including members of his own party. In the election of 1852, the Whigs wouldn't renominate him. So Fillmore went home to Buffalo, leaving behind one of the most forgettable presidencies in American history. Millard Fillmore, my man. What an exciting guy. So an accidental president. So as I mentioned, Zachary Taylor, they hadn't met until they were elected. That is really crazy. What? I mean... Yeah, I mean, I also, one, one has to think, I mean, you know, that's a product of the times they lived in. Well, I know that, a, like, way back, you know, in the times of Hamilton and Jefferson and whatnot... The vice president was just whoever lost. Yeah. Which is crazy as well. Can you imagine Vice President Hillary Clinton to this motherfucker? It's like getting a prize for Actually, that'd up. be great. <laughs> that, that would be, in this situation, that would be great. So Millard Fillmore, his big problem was he backed that compromise of 1850, which allowed slavery to spread. That was his big thing. Otherwise, he was just, he tried to appease everyone, couldn't appease anyone. He thought that slavery, ending slavery would cause the southern economy to collapse that was his thinking with each of these presidents i want to understand the thinking behind their horrible decisions all right he believed it was protected by the constitution slavery now how could he possibly get i'm not that? an expert in the constitution but 
it would be really hard to convince me that that was somehow written in there. <laughs> or that there's anything where it could have been construed as, oh, yeah, slavery, protected. Yeah, it's actually, you know, I, I, it's interesting because when you look at American politics, you know, up to this day, there's this constant battle between the idea of America as this forward thinking, you know, free society and also this strong connection to our roots, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, so much strong respect for our founding fathers. And, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for the founding fathers, but they were also a product of their times. Uh, and it's always interesting to me when people, you know, look back and say, well, you know, this isn't how they intended the country to be run. And I'm like, well, of course, gives a shit in the 1770s, people's ideas of uh, how the world worked were so far removed from our own. Uh, and they were smart enough to know that. Yes. That's, the thing. that's why we are. That's why there are amendments. Yeah. Why it's built into that. You can make changes to the system as times change. These fucking people. <laughs> and some of them like originalists like Antonin Scalia. Who cares what, you know, what they meant exactly when this was ratified in 1791? Times have changed. And they, most, most, I don't want to say all, ever, but most of the founding fathers were smart enough to know that times would change. You know, like. I mean, I guess there's a sentiment that, you know, the, the principles and the beliefs that led to the creation of, of this nation uh, were so strongly guided, uh, were, were so, so morally right that to stray in any way from that. Well, they weren't deviate. Well, I mean, yeah, again, that, that's just an idea that obviously some people have, um, you know, that, that sort of, we created this country and it was this beautiful concept. It is. uh, And I would agree with that. Yeah. But, but that, you know, that you don't want to stray away from that because any deviation leads to some sort of moral decay. Uh, I, you know, I, yeah, but that's the sticking to the general spirit of the fill in the blank is one thing, but I'm talking about people who are like, well, the second amendment, says this, 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 totally misinterpreted, by the way. Yeah. So they're talking about sticking to the original meaning of every word when they clearly, I'm thinking of a very specific type of person right now when I talk about the (laughs) second amendment. But you know what I mean? Because there's other people when they're trying to use that for anything, you know, like uh, integration, segregation, they did all that stuff. You know, women weren't really included in the 14th amendment. I mean, like it had to, because there's no mention of gender. Yeah, I I mean, change is always scary uh for, yeah. for some people you know the idea of of moving away from the guiding principles uh of, of a nation so or sometimes it's just straight up races like well yes and, and there's always <laughs> that element to it um like some of these presidents we're gonna find out it is interesting to me the comment about him blaming abolitionists for making slavery an issue well yeah because they were raising they were raising hell about it yeah it just it just you know it it speaks the idea that you would think slavery is not an issue just because someone's not complaining about it says a lot about right okay so and i think i don't know if i mentioned this but a lot of these horrible presidents that we're celebrating today came around the time of abraham lincoln which i think is interesting yeah it's actually because right we've got andrew johnson well miller fillmore was 13 next up we've got franklin pierce and number he was in the he was the 14th president, he just happens to be next on our list as well. So let's hear a little bit about him. It was 1852, and the tenuous strands of the Compromise of 1850 were barely holding the nation together. Franklin Pierce appeared to be the perfect feel-good candidate. He was a Northern Democrat with strong ties to the South. 
Voters in both regions thought Pierce would bring balance and peace to the nation. He was known by everybody. Everybody knew him. Everybody liked him. That's how he got nominated to begin with. There wasn't anybody who didn't like him. Number 14, Franklin Pierce, Democrat, 1853 to 1857, 48 years old, from New Hampshire. Franklin Pierce was practically handed the presidency because he was offensive to no one. He would leave office reviled by all. Pierce had terrible timing throughout his life. Uh, even his timing of when he got elected president was, was poor. Everybody called him Handsome Frank. The word that was used often in describing was elegant. Extremely outgoing, very charismatic. Even people didn't like him, felt he was a wonderfully charming, interesting uh, person. Pierce was well known as a man about town, a social and political butterfly of sorts with a penchant for drinking, often to excess. Being involved in politics meant being in taverns, meant slapping people on the back, buying them a drink, and the drinking culture in America at this time was enormous. I mean, one scholars called it the alcoholic republic. Whether he was an alcoholic is hard to, to judge today, but he probably was. There were times in his life, however, when he did not drink and when he, alcohol did not seem to play an important role in his life, and that includes the time he was president. By all accounts, Pierce managed to stay sober during his presidency. But some believe he was not emotionally stable because of a terrible personal tragedy he suffered just weeks after his election. Pierce, his wife Jane, and their son Benny were in a train wreck. Pierce and his wife were unscathed, but their 11-year-old son was killed. The top of his head had literally been taken off. Right in front of his parents, uh, Franklin Pierce grabbed his cloak and threw it over Benny's body, hoping that Jane wouldn't see it, uh, but she did, of course, and that was a terrible tragedy to them. Pierce and his wife had already lost two other children to disease. Benny was their last surviving child. To have your remaining son, the light of your life, Benny, killed in front of your eyes in a train accident, who could imagine the horror that that would instill? in anyone. Added to Pierce's troubles was the death of his vice president, William Rufus King, six weeks after the inauguration. And things were about to get worse. Early in 1854, Pierce received a visit from members of his own party, including Illinois Senator Stephen A. Douglas. Douglas informed Pierce he was sponsoring a bill called the Kansas-Nebraska Act. The Kansas-Nebraska Act is one of the key moments in all of American political history. The act was designed to repeal the Missouri Compromise of 1820, which banned slavery in states above the southern border of Missouri. The intent was to let the new territories of Kansas and Nebraska, both north of the boundary, decide for themselves if they wanted slavery or not. Douglas promised to make Pierce's presidency a living nightmare if Pierce didn't support the scheme. The president should have said, no, you're opening a can of worms, a hornet's nest, but no, Pierce is weak, Pierce can be bullied, and Douglas forces him basically to say, okay, the administration will support this. And so Pierce basically caved into them, and as a consequence, most of the Northern Democrats in the Senate and exactly half of the Northern Democrats in the House uh, supported the bill and that was just enough to get it through Congress. 
Anti-slavery groups in the North just went berserk over this bill. They went ballistic. Among the outraged was a little-known politician from Illinois, Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln was so angered by the blatant pro-slavery act that he helped create a radical new political party. All right, that's about as enough as we need to know. So his fatal flaw was he was a wimp. I mean, the fact that a Stephen Douglas, a senator, could come over and be like, you son of, you're going to support this or we will make your, I will make your presidency miserable. And he was just like, okay. Like, I'd say, you get the fuck out of here. Get a life! I mean, he's a senator. First of all, you don't be pushed around like that, number one. Number two, this was a horrible idea. It was basically imposing slavery on areas where we, some where we didn't know if they would want it, some we knew they didn't want it. So it was going to piss everybody off. He, he didn't have any, any gumption. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, it's, it's hard for me to understand. How he was ever uh, president. Well, yeah, I mean, how any, well, well, I can see how someone like that would be elected in the first place, right? Because those, you know, being affable and charming yeah, sure. and sociable and, you know, as he said, there was a drinking culture and he was a part of it. So obviously a really likable guy, which, you know, I actually think it, it is a huge issue we have with uh, the way that we elect our officials because it's not it's often the reason that people vote and and the things we elect people for it's not about the actual issues it's a popularity contest right i mean we see this all the time we certainly are seeing it recently where uh, you mean like when george bush well i'd like to have a beer with him well sure yeah exactly Uh, you know and if you're if you're an affable friendly candidate that's gonna go a long ways because of the way that we campaign Mm -hmm. and we present the issues to people um you know and and it's i understand that it's hard it wasn't the same back then but you have 300 million people in the country right now not all of them are going to be able to pour through all the issues and make educated decisions about why they want this person over that person uh, so yeah, so but so what you end up doing is is you know you play to the lowest common denominator and you just present a very simple, strong message. Well, that's yeah, that's one way to do it. You can be charismatic and outgoing and like doing the slap and people on the back and stuff, and not be a complete worthless moron. Sure, yeah, there you can do both. And I, you know, I I have to bring this up just because mm-hmm. I like to be controversial. Um, what I think JFK is a great example of a president who was elected mm-hmm. largely because of his uh, looks, his looks, his charm, his appeal, his family. Well, yeah, I mean, that played a part, but he was smart. He went to Harvard and to Stanford, served in the Navy, was a war hero, was a congressman. I am not fully convinced that he was a very good president. Why? We didn't uh, really get to see much. Until his head got blown off. Well, you know, for me, the big thing is the Cuban Missile Crisis. I, it certainly ended well for us well, all yeah, because I mean, we're still here. Uh, his generals were telling him this to start a nuclear conflict. The thing with the Cuban Missile Crisis, at least the way that I have yeah. heard the story told, uh, it's, you know, it, it, there were multiple options presented to him. Mm-hmm. And he was not in a state of mind where he was able to pick one of those options. Just what do you, when you say not in a state of mind, you mean just indecisive or drunk or indecisive what? and on medication um, for his back? Yeah. And well, wait, let's be clear about that. He had lifelong medical issues. Yeah. But Franklin Pierce, how do you feel about the fact that he lost his son month or weeks into his presidency? That horrible story we just. Oh, we're going back to Franklin. Um, yeah, that I mean that. Because I have I, I have a lot of sympathy 
for him. Absolutely. I I can't, you know, I I cannot even imagine what it would be like to suffer a loss like that. And while you're in a position of authority and you have to show up to work every day. But you do. And make it, of course, that's the thing. I mean, that's the the thing. And that's what separates him from like his Abe Lincoln, his whole life was tragedy. Truly. I mean, like he lost all of his kids except for one. Yeah. In childhood. And like one grew up to be 18. That's not old. Yeah. I mean, and he had a psycho wife. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're also, you know, you're looking, Abe Lincoln, obviously a remarkable individual. A remarkable individual, but also severed with, you know, he had a lot of, he was gloomy at times. They say he was really melancholy. He'd suffered probably from clinical depression if we had those, if we, you know, we could diagnose mm-hmm. back then. But also, it's not just the fact that, like, he's an outcast in terms of, like, his achievements. He's also an anomaly in terms of losing so many kids being married to this psychopath like truly mary todd was a nightmare yeah i mean from what we've from what i've read and he you know was leading at a time of real importance the civil war he had to end the civil war yeah well i actually think you know certain individuals have a disposition that allows them to fight through tragedy and often those are the kinds of people who are rise to the level rise to a certain level and you know if you're fortunate enough that they happen to be in power at a time like that are able to uh step up to the plate um well, you know, i think abraham lincoln is, is, is a great example and of that. then he was murdered and it was still an important time and we're not going to listen to the whole thing about his successor but he is next on the list he's usually among the top three horrible presidents andrew johnson i mean he's called one of the most racist presidents we've ever had up there with Andrew Jackson, totally, totally fucked up Reconstruction. You gave the South a pass, basically, when they were they were a defeated people. They were ready to take whatever we gave them, and he was like, he was a sympathizer with the South, gave the freed slaves no protection. He also, like, his first while in office, he told um, Congress, you know, like, yeah, we'll work this all out together. You guys have a nice break. They went on break. He He put together his own plan for reconstruction and when they got back he said it's done fuck off <laughs> truly it's and a man with like, a mission and thaddeus stevens i don't know if anyone's seen the movie lincoln but he was played by tommy lee jones he was a hardcore motherfucker he was not happy with this and he wasn't having it that's why andrew johnson they actually created i think it was like the i can't even remember what it was called but it was like the tenure of office act mm-hmm. saying you can't like you can't fire anyone from your cabinet without congressional approval which is crazy but they they enacted that he fired someone who was a lincoln holdover and they impeached him for it <laughs> he barely he barely escaped senate conviction and thrown out yeah one vote but he was horrible he was true unlike lincoln who was you know told stories and you know tried to would talk to anybody stephen douglas who was the guy who actually made that threat to franklin pierce the famous Lincoln Douglas debates. Yeah. That fucker was, you know, looking to get power and he was he was not a nice guy. Lincoln dealt with him. Lincoln that's the thing. You have to be able to deal with people. And uh Johnson did had no interest in that. He yeah. was a real recluse and racist. The one thing I will give him credit for, he never attended a day of school in his life. Can you believe he taught himself how to read, which that that's impressive. I don't even understand that. A self-taught individual. How could you teach yourself how to read? I just don't get it. Well, I mean, you know, I I, I can't even teach myself <laughs> like who how knows to what what do facilities he had access to. Well, you know, it, it speaks- facilities. He grew up in a log cabin. Well, exactly. So <laughs> right. sort of had to. You know, it, it's. Well, I mean, again, you were talking about remarkable individuals, um, and obviously 
not a great president, but clearly a man who's very driven and ambitious uh, and able to achieve things. You know what I will put at Lincoln's fault? Why was he ever vice president? Well, it probably was because at the time he seemed like a good. No, it was purely it was purely political reasons. Well, exactly. But but that's why you pick a vice president, right? No, not always. I mean, like they couldn't have been more different. I mean, like, yeah, you know, like, okay, look at. okay, so John F. Kennedy picked LBJ as his vice president because, first of all, they fought it out for the nomination, number one. But they were at least members of the same party and kind of like. Kind of ideals and whatnot. They're alive. ideologically. They went on the about same page. them. They went about them totally different. Yeah, Texan versus Massachusetts Northerner mm-hmm. and whatnot. But when Kennedy died and LBJ took over, it was pretty much very similar. You know, the Civil Rights Act continued to mm-hmm. be fought for. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when Lincoln died, suddenly this guy comes in and he's like. A Southern sympathizer, which didn't make any sense because I don't think he was actually a Southerner. And mm, not that I'm aware of. Moving right along. Okay, next is Warren G. Harding. He was the 29th president. The funny thing about him is he died. He wasn't president long, and his reputation was destroyed after he died. Mm-hmm. Here, we'll learn a little bit about him. We're learning a lot. You're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn, by the way, and we're discussing the best horrible presidents we've ever had. Warren G. Harding. By 1920, Americans were tired of war abroad and progressive programs at home. The high-minded rhetoric of Woodrow Wilson had lost its appeal. The country was in a conservative mood. Number 29, Warren G. Harding, Republican, 1921 to 1923, 55 years old, from Ohio. Warren Harding is the only president to be elected on his birthday. In his successful campaign, he touted a return to normalcy. We're not going to do anything big and ambitious. We're going to create a period in which things are quiet and calm. A former newspaper man, Harding was the seventh president born in the state of Ohio. No one ever accused him of being a cold fish. He was an extrovert, a gambler, a drinker, and allegedly a womanizer. He also played the sousaphone. He liked to be around people, liked to glad hand, liked to slap people in the back. That's actually a, a rather valuable political skill. Harding has been portrayed as someone who wasn't fit to be president, that he lacked intellect and ambition. People will say that he didn't want to be president or that he didn't have the self-confidence to do it. Uh, he did want to be president. He was a savvy man in his politics, and he did have a very strong sense for what he wanted to accomplish. Harding wasn't the type of president who thought he had all the answers. Mr. Harding uh, said that he was inviting the best minds into the cabinet. In a very real sense, this was the case. His secretary of state was Charles Evans Hughes, who was a distinguished man. His secretary of commerce was Herbert Hoover. This was a good cabinet. Harding's most important achievement was the Budget and Accounting Act of 1921. Passed at Harding's urging, it gave the executive branch greater control over federal spending. And for the first time in history, required the president to submit an annual budget to Congress. Harding scored the other great success of his presidency, 
when he convened an international conference in Washington that resulted in an historic arms reduction agreement between the naval powers of the world. The Washington Naval Conference was the only serious arms limitation arrangement that was made in the 20s and 30s. That was Mr. Harding. In the summer of 1923, Harding took a train trip west, becoming the first sitting president to visit Alaska. But his health was failing. On July 29th, he arrived at the Palace Hotel in San Francisco and checked into the presidential suite to recuperate. Four days later, with his wife Florence at his bedside, the president suffered a heart attack. Florence pleaded with the doctors to save him, but it was too late. Harding was dead. Those people who have any image of Harding at all remember him as a kind of joke, and certainly as a failure. It would be hard for such people to understand the enormity of the response to Harding's death. It would be a short-lived period of grief and reverence. Less than a year after his death, several scandals came to light that forever shattered Harding's image. The most significant scandal involved Harding's Secretary of the Interior, Albert Fall. He was accused of improperly leasing Navy oil reserves at Elk Hills, California and Teapot Dome in Wyoming to a pair of wealthy oil men in exchange for an illegal kickback. Teapot Dome, as the affair came to be known, was the most infamous presidential scandal prior to Watergate. I don't know of any evidence that Harding actually was complicit in these scandals or that he personally benefited from them, but he certainly was guilty of appointing mediocre, not very honest people to very significant positions. Harding's reputation was further tarnished by the publishing of two scandalous books. One is... Whatever, yeah, people wrote books about him. He cheated on his wife, he had a lot of extramarital affairs, and he was totally corrupt. So, so this is actually an interesting argument you know sort of what what does or doesn't make a great president versus yeah. a great individual because he you know did, I, you know the arms reduction agreement that was something that was important yeah no i mean you know and the idea of a return to normalcy after a, a period of high instability wait so he was number 29 who was 28 it was wilson right woodrow yeah was it okay when he was literally incapacitated yeah, I, well, I, so 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 the thing the thing that I always find you know because you look at presidents who have yes, gone through was. scandals, um, Bill Clinton, right? Mm-hmm. I think great example of a president who you can judge, well, that's by a, his well, wait, his wait. morality because his which only is, scandal was that one. That was a personal life scandal. With this sure. one, there was the extramarital affairs, but also he had a he put corrupt people in his cabinet. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So like with, with with Bill Clinton, it really bothers me because the only big scandal that they had was the affair, which mm-hmm. didn't affect politics at all. Well, but the argument that people make, and, and I, I kind of disagree with this mm-hmm. argument, the argument that people make is is you cannot be a, a good president if you are an immoral human. Well, Republicans say that until they get caught, you know, giving blowjobs in the bathroom. <laughs> well, no, but I, I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, and I, I think so to an extent. I, I I think you have to have some kind of moral core to and be, be a good person. Sure. Uh, right. But I also think, you know, at the end of the day, politics are separate from your personal integrity. It is mm-hmm. a job. Yes. So being president is the job of being president is to protect the country. Yes. To, you know, deal with foreign leaders, to, you know, make 
create trade deals like NAFTA and whatnot. You know what else is a job? Being a professional baseball player. What? If that guy has had six wives and is actually gay, whatever, not going to affect how good he is on the baseball field. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yes. Now, when you look at like Harding, when he's infecting his cabinet or Nixon, by the time like as Watergate was really totally overtaking him, mm-hmm. he was like wandering the White House, talking to portraits, you know, like drunk. Yeah. No, that's I mean, not I mean, good. A lot of times, I think these people's scandals. Uh, Drive them affect crazy. their ability to to perform the job if there's truth to them i mean like that's yes. the thing you know like like monica Lewinsky thing yeah that was very stressful and pissed him off but even you know yeah it was true but again that is not that is a personal problem yes no exactly and that's, that's what i'm saying like i see that i personally see that as separate from mm-hmm his career as president. You know, I look at at what he achieved as a president and I'd rather judge that separate from what he chose to do in his personal life. As much as I yeah. obviously am not uh, thrilled by his personal choices. Yeah. I, I just think you have to have some kind of separation between it, your professional and, and sure, your personal yeah. individual. Unless they overlap. I, unless they overlap. Yes. And, and certainly there are cases, you know, I, I think also part of being president is that you have to present a certain moral core so that your people feel like they are being led by someone who it should be real. Here's the thing. So if someone chooses mm-hmm. to do something like what Nixon was doing, you know, like, yeah. you know, like actually chooses to participate in this scheme to like break in and kind of, well, in Nixon's case, the scandal is political, but it's also, I'm talking about just the, okay, let's say he chose to be in on this scheme to rob a quickie mart. You know, anything like that. Choosing to break in and steal stuff yeah. is different than choosing to accept a blowjob. Do you know what I mean? Like human, like people make these mistakes. Like, I don't know. Like when sure. I when I see someone choose to, you know, like money launder yeah. or tax evasion or something, that's choosing to commit a crime. But when it comes to someone's personal, like sexual stuff, it's like, I, I don't condone cheating. But, like, I know a lot of people who have cheated. You know, like, it's like... Yeah, I mean, I think in in his case, there is also the extra element of... It's not just cheating with someone you met at the park while on a run. I mean, you're (laughs) cheating with your intern at the White House. But then, like, when the same people who judge him for that, and then 20 years later try and blame Hillary for that? Oh, yeah. How moral is that? No, I mean, there's... there's, So it's all horseshit. (laughs) Well, it's easy to take a moral stance when you already disagree with someone, right? If you disagree with someone's politics, you can easily look at them and say, oh, you did this this thing in your yeah. private life, and that makes you a terrible person, and I was right all along, uh, and it's easy to forgive. But, but you know, I mean, that, that's, that's just common knowledge. You know, you want to like someone or you don't. Yeah. It's very easy. I, I was a, a huge fan of, of President Obama. Uh, I really respect him as Were an individual. You? But if, if it came out that he was uh, selling fraudulent sports memorabilia that would affect how i think of him it really would yes but it would also i can speak for myself and i you know i mean i i don't want to speak for you but like i know that it would be easier for me to find a way to forgive him than it would be for me to find if that exact same scenario was let's say uh george w bush but let's not who i'm not a huge fan of it would be a lot easier for me to look at him and say oh well you know you see but yeah i get what you're saying but I don't see it as like it'd be easier for me to forget. Like if if I found out and it was it was 
undeniable. Mm-hmm. Barack Obama had a side business of selling fraudulent sports memorabilia. What a business. Well, and it was like, I am not going to think that's a, I can't be like, well, it's okay to sell fake sports memorabilia. I hold firm to that. I don't think I could justify it. Now, if it came out that like he actually wasn't doing that, like this whole Benghazi thing, oh, well, you forgive Benghazi. Well, that's because what you think when you say Benghazi didn't happen (laughs) because there's all these false equivalencies. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So like Hillary was not scheduled to be standing guard there that night. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what they act like. So it's not so much what you can forgive, who you like or don't like. It's what you make up. Yeah, yeah but, but, that's, but that's always based in personal bias, right? And I mean, you, you look at it today. We talk so much about, you know, what is or isn't fake news. Uh, a lot of that judgment is based on what you already want to believe. Uh, now, obviously, there are sites that you can easily look at and say, okay, this is clearly – there's more empirical evidence to prove that they have some basis in factual truth. But uh, – you know, it's hard to determine what absolute truth is. And so your bias is always going to affect which sources you choose to believe over others. Well, and slight variations uh, in a story can affect whether you think someone's actions were really morally reprehensible or morally questionable but excusable. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I have to be honest with you. Like, for everything we said about Andrew Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, grossly racist yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. I think that I think his impeachment was, God damn it! I'm so worked up about this. I can't. No, I think <laughs> his impeachment was complete and utter horseshit. To come up with that tenure of office act, which is just nonsense, and impose it in the middle of his presidency. Yeah, that was that was that political. Feels like the kind of radical change that you would want to enact. They did that in retaliation. Yeah. for what he did. Yeah, you know, it's it's a it's an act of spite. But I'm just saying, I recognized that that was horseshit. Yeah. He was a horrible president. He was a horrible, probably human. But that impeachment was bullshit. Well, just kinda, like Bill Clinton. It, it, it kind of speaks right to the question of, of you have a system that's set up to allow an individual to have a certain degree of power in a certain amount of time. Uh, and assuming there's been you know no fiddling with, with the voting, uh, you believe that they have the the uh, the the will of the people well, to was, enact their changes. Well, he wasn't elected. Well, yes, I know in but, his case, but but the system allows yes. for a vice president to take charge after. So technically speaking, right. he was the person that we had chosen as like, okay, this is our second guy. Right. Um, you know, so it's like if if you in the moment realize, oh God, this is going horribly wrong. Uh, is it within the rights of Congress to in the moment? Well, they quickly cut the cord. I guess they didn't have the 25th Amendment then. They didn't. Mm, they no, didn't. No, that came after no. Woodrow Wilson. Yeah. So, no, they really had no recourse. Yeah. Other than to create this thing. I don't know. I just think that unless it's an imminent emergency, like now. Yeah. We can talk about that in a minute. Oh, we'll, before, we'll get there. Yeah. Before we get to Donald Trump, I want to skip ahead. George W. Bush was on this list, but we're going to skip him because people know about him. Uh, I want to get to who is constantly, until now, I think, consistently on every list I've ever read, ranked the worst president ever. Do you know who it is? I have no idea. James Buchanan, number 15. Okay. So again, 
right before Abraham Lincoln. It is. There I'm, I'm detecting a pattern here in terms of the time period. All Grim. the presidents just before and right after Abraham Lincoln. Well, Harding and Bush and Nixon. Well, yeah, there's, I'm just saying, like, clearly there, yeah. there's, there is a time period in which there were a number of presidents who were viewed well, I could very see, negatively. I could see why the ones after him would be, but all the ones leading up to him? Well, I mean, I, you know, well, obviously we'll hear about, yeah. about Buchanan, but I'm going to assume that, once again, slavery is going to be one of the defining mm. issues, right? Yeah. Which makes yeah, sense. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, to this day one of the most problematic aspects of our country that that it existed and that we continue to feel its repercussions you know who the first president to really get the ball rolling on civil rights was wasn't it eisenhower harry truman he was he was he was okay but but eisenhower is (laughs) what about eisenhower he's from kansas too by the way yeah well was it I, no. Okay, yeah, no, you're probably right. The, the ball was probably rolling Because Harry more. Truman, he was the one who said that um, race uh, and something else couldn't job discriminate, mm-hmm. which was a very, you know, early step, but that kind of got the ball rolling with the 60s. And yeah, whatnot. I mean, that's, you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. You got to start somewhere. Okay, so James Buchanan, this poor son of a bitch. Let's hear about him. Number 15, James Buchanan, Democrat, 1857 to 1861. 65 years old, from Pennsylvania. James Buchanan is often ranked at or near the bottom in these polls to determine the best and the worst of the American presidents. I think the reason that he's often rated near or at the bottom is because actions that he took during his presidency probably hastened the coming of the Civil War. He did fail, but I think he failed with integrity And I think he needs to be given credit for at least trying. I think that he should be maligned, but we've got to get it right. Really, what he deserves his last place rating for is near treason. James Buchanan was one of the most politically accomplished presidents America has ever had. He had been a congressman, foreign minister, senator, and secretary of state. What he'd achieved in life was due to hard work and a fastidious nature. He would stay up late at night to attend to the smallest of details. Buchanan was different in another way. He never married and is often referred to as America's only bachelor president. There are folks in the United States who say that uh, James Buchanan is our first homosexual president. The allegation arose from the intimate friendship he had shared with Franklin Pierce's vice president, William Rufus King, a man he had lived with for 16 years. There really is not a lot of hard evidence. There are three or four mentions at the time of Buchanan and his wife, or Aunt Nancy. These two men are Aunt Nancy's. Now, King was part of this circle of dandies, they called them. And there certainly was some sense in this group of men that they were having homosexual relations. It's very hard to make any kind of determination about something like that, even about someone living today, let alone someone living in the 1850s. Buchanan had his charming niece, Harriet Lane, serve as his White House hostess. Since Harriet wasn't Buchanan's wife, she was called the First Lady, a term coined to describe her role. While Harriet presided over social life at the White House, 
Buchanan presided over a house rapidly dividing. His decision to endorse the Constitution written by the pro-slavery settlers in Kansas made Buchanan appear to be a supporter of the South and a traitor to the North. The idea that the president will try to force slavery into a territory where it's clear that a majority of the settlers don't want it completely discredits his administration in the eyes of large numbers of northerners, including northern Democrats, not just Republicans. Everything that uh, James Buchanan does for the last part of his administration is so pro-Southern that he does not do in the classic presidential oath preserve and defend and protect the United States. Ultimately, Buchanan's management of the battle in Kansas did nothing to settle the slavery issue. It only made it worse. Slavery, couched in the mantra of states' rights, was now the defining issue in the historic election of 1860. On November 6, 1860, Abraham Lincoln was elected president. It was now only a matter of months before the South would lose its ally in the White House. In anticipation of an anti-slavery president, South Carolina seceded from the Union on December 20th, 1860. As a lame duck president, James Buchanan denied the legality of secession, but didn't do anything to stop it. Was he being weak at that moment and indecisive? Probably. Was he scared to death? Certainly. Did he have a sense that this was an incredibly dangerous moment? Definitely. Within weeks, six more states left the Union, and eight slaveholding states sat on the fence, becoming border states. On February 9, 1861, the Confederate States of America, now composed of seven states, elected Jefferson Davis as their new president. One month later, Buchanan's presidency came to an end. He was tremendously relieved to set aside the burden of office and hand it over to Lincoln. On his last day, Buchanan said to Lincoln, if you are as happy to be entering the presidency as I am to be leaving it, then you are a very happy man. How witty was that? He really redeemed himself with that one. Let's say, point something out. So when John Quincy Adams became president, his father wrote him a note. That's his father, John Adams, who had been president, Mm -hmm. wrote him a note that said, no friend would wish the presidency on any friend of his. So basically, we have a trend here. Yeah. Even Donald Trump was asked in like a forum at Liberty University or something, if you could go back in time and and to your 25-year-old self, give some advice, what would it be? Don't run for president. I don't think people really enjoy being president. It sounds like a horrible job. Oh, yeah. No, there's no, I think the, I mean, the whole point is. To be miserable? No, the the whole point (laughs) is it's to serve, right? I mean, obviously there's a lot of appeal. Uh, Yes. Let's discuss James Buchanan. Okay, okay, sure. So, because he really is considered the worst. Now he, so you heard that woman say, near treason. But she was talking about treason in terms of the South, United States. Do you know what I mean? Well, it sounded to me like maybe what she was implying was that he was guilty of treason for not protecting protecting the United States. The United States as as a whole. Yes. Yeah. Worse would be not protecting the United States from I don't know, Russia? 
<laughs> I'm serious. That, well, that's yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother can so, of worms. How cool is it that we've had a gay president? Too bad he was the worst ever. <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> that's so I'm not, not fully convinced that that's not a factor in why some people dislike him so much. You're, unfortunately, well, just because you're homophobic, that's mean... <laughs> not. That is the complete opposite of what. <laughs> well, could they listed their reasons. He was, you know, he basically no, yes. he had no Look, spine. I, I mean. Sure. No spine. Okay. So I think it's really easy to look at someone in hindsight who is living in a moment that is unprecedented. Right. I mean, I I mean, there's, there's no, you can't fall back on any prior experience, right? Like this had never happened before. The country was literally tearing itself apart. And, And now I'm not, I'm not excusing this guy, but I don't know. We've had like, think about all our history, you know, starting with Washington. We were a, literally a baby country. Yeah. We had to get off our feet and like, that was a difficult time, I'm sure. sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Washington was, an, was a, another extraordinary individual. Yeah. Okay. We had World War One, World War Two, the Civil War, War of 1812. Yeah. We've had, you know, Vietnam, which did not go well. No. It was not handled well September at all. 11th. Which, again, going back to JFK, just a reminder. Don't blame that on him. Uh, the reason we <laughs> had troops on the ground. You know what? As, advisors you're just a southern i just i love hating on jfk okay i want to point something out though so we've mentioned these literally yes with the exception of gwb who we all know why he's included he's included because the war in iraq was started it's very expensive started under false pretenses yeah i would include that he especially after seeing the movie vice you really understand that he just was totally subservient to his vice president which is never good. I mean, oh. Dick Cheney was, oh, I, was I think it all the, the guy in the shadows behind that government. One thing I want to point out, though, okay, Millard Fillmore, Franklin Pierce, Johnson, they were all horrible presidents for various mm-hmm. reasons. You know, whether it was a compromise of 1850, being bullied into the Kansas-Nebraska Act, something like that. Big decisions that had bad, you know, consequences. Mm-hmm. But they all kind of, you know, tried. And they all, you know, like James Buchanan terrible president but he had been secretary of state a senator you yeah. know he, he was he was smart he stayed up really late trying to learn stuff yeah didn't go well that leads us to today and it's just i just want to point out kind of the difference my whole life has been about winning i'm not a, i'm not like so many of the other people that you talk to that are essentially losers okay you take a look at her she's a slob she talks like a like a truck driver People are soft and weak and, frankly, stupid and incompetent. I'd like to take some money out of her fat-ass pockets. The senator is nothing. I like to see people fail. Rosie is a loser. I mean, I'd look her right in that fat, ugly face of hers. I'd say, you're fired. Certain people are zeros. You are stupid. Yeah. I mean, he says it like it is. Uh, You are stupid. uh, yeah, I well, can't. Look, I, mean, I mean, there's no, there's no. Are, I mean, are we are we talking about Trump I, now? Is that what we're doing? Well, you talk about being in an unprecedented time. Yeah, seriously. I just can't get over it. Like, we we did this emergency. We're gonna take the Supreme Court. We go to the district. We'll get a bad ruling. We'll get another bad ruling. It's like, what are you talking about? But look, I I like I kind of want to go back to you know I I had briefly mentioned how we how the system is designed in terms of the campaigning yeah that this was a it is this is an unprecedented scenario we're in Mm -hmm. but i'm not that surprised honestly because we really wait uh, you're not surprised by what 
by the fact that we somehow managed to elect this individual. Did we? Uh, well, okay. You, you, well, wait. He didn't win the popular vote by three million, which is a lot. But I'm also yes, but also like the, the electoral college has been around for a while. Like right, people. Also, okay, so, so the issue of the but you know what hasn't been around for a long time. Let's hear it. Meddling from other countries and us just kind of being like, eh. sure. I mean, I we won't know. Well, we know until we do. But here's to what, what we extent, do know. Sure. What we do know is, let's say even with any meddling taken out of the equation, mm-hmm. the election was won. On a razor-thin margin, closer than any ever. I mean, we're talking about, yeah. like, 30,000 votes in Michigan. Yeah. So, we know that in terms of numbers. We also know that there was, uh, you know, Russian bots and stuff putting up Facebook ads, being like, Hillary runs a child pedophile ring in this pizza shop. Now, yeah. if you see an ad like that, what effect does it have? Any? Do you even remember it? Who knows? Does it go in your subconscious or whatever? People see that, and it might have the most subtle, non-noticeable influence. Might have zero. Might have a lot. You might. Some people might see that and be like, "What Hillary's doing? Oh my god!" And I, I, but I do. I think that plays into what I'm saying, which is, is we don't vote. We vote for people who appeal to very basic arguments and instincts. But how could he have appealed to anybody? Based on what he was saying, well, all look at his look at his follower base. I mean, they're when he gets them riled up, they become rabid. There are people who really, truly believe his very. I mean, and he uses such generic language. No, not generic. It's very like they're bringing drugs. They're rapists. No, but that, yes, but he he creates these broad categories, yeah. and then he sort of changes his message. And I mean, the whole thing, make America great again. You know, I mean, yeah. that like, what what does that mean? Nothing. What specifically are you saying you will do aside from your wall that, again, there were there were no specifics of what that wall actually was going to be or who was going to pay for it? Uh, no, there was specifics about it. He said Mexico. Well, he said was, Mexico, but, you know, uh, well, no, don't that's you changed. Know. But that's because that's the thing, though. He said, and Mexico is going to pay for that wall. That was specific. No, but again, that is a generic comment because he's not the point. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is, is yeah. as you know, someone who I, I would like to believe had a good education mm-hmm. uh, and, and try to I try to approach issues intellectually. Um, I have never really understood why our politicians. I understand it, but it bothers me that our politicians try to appeal to our base emotions by making just very strong comments about what they're going to do and what they care about, but don't actually discuss the specifics of why those issues are important and how they're going to fix them. Well, a lot of times they're not asked about it. The media doesn't ask. No, exactly. Because our entire, because we don't care because what we want is the little bite-sized chunk of how you're going to make everything amazing again. And you're going to be the best person ever. You don't actually have to prove that you know what you're talking about well, or that have. you have a plan for all the things you intend to do. Sure. He couldn't have anyway. Exactly. And, and if we forced our candidates to actually present cohesive plans. Bernie you, couldn't have done it either. Sorry. Maybe not. Yeah, honestly. No, it did. But I remember like, you know, because I was kind of drawn to some of Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders arguments. I mean, I have yes. some oddly socialist leaning tendencies. But I did get frustrated because I remember, you know, his whole campaign, he was talking about all the billionaires and the billionaires and the billionaires. But I was like, okay, but what, what specifically are you going to do to change that situation? And yeah. I think he just used, again, it was, it was a very populist message of, you know, rise up and we'll overcome it. But how? Who? Like when it says like free college. Okay. I like free college. Sure. But how? But there's how no such thing act- as free college. No. And also, how do you actually implement that? Right. Because there are 
logistical challenges. You know who did have plans? Who? Hillary. Uh, what were they? Oh, they were out there. No one cared. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say that, you know, they didn't present them, it's because people's attention spans are so short and st- incredibly low. Yeah. Yeah. And like make America great again. That is an, that is a direct implication that you want to go backwards. You know, it, America was great. It yeah. isn't now. Let's go back to be it the nineties, eighties, fifties. Doesn't matter. Going backwards. Yeah. Well, it's a crazy we, thing to me. We, I think we touched earlier on the yeah. idea of this conflict between the idea of America as this forward moving forward thinking nation, but also that is so drawn to this idealized version of our roots, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it's, it's traditional American values, uh, which there's yeah. an appeal to that, but also uh, you're ignoring the truth that traditional American values existed in a time when people had hopefully very different ideas. But than when we you do say now. traditional American, like, you know, that could be taken as, you know, having a family unit and having the mm-hmm. American dream could also be taken as, rampant racism well no exactly but that's that's the thing is you're ignoring the reality of what traditional american values were because you're choosing to see the city on the hill and all the good Mm -hmm. side and the reality is i mean we were and are an imperfect nation Mm -hmm. because there's no such thing as as a a perfect country where you've gotten everything right Uh, and that's why over time you constantly try to improve and change well and you know what's what's sad is that even before 2016 every campaign Democrat, Republican, Ross Perot, they each, they all spun their message to be optimistic. Mm-hmm. You know, that shining city on a hill. Yeah. That was, you know, what people loved about Ronald Reagan was his kind of delusional, you know, picture of America as everything's perfect and hopeful and bright. Yeah. And yet, you know, his policies were hardly that. You know what I mean? Like, that did not, the Reaganomics, the trickle down stuff, that was hardly putting people in a, all people in a position of hope and perfection, but but at least there was that idea with with a uh, Trump, American carnage. Yeah, you know nobody, I alone can fix this. It was always a message of like, oh my god, invasion of the yeah. Mexicans, yeah, rapists, you know, making fun of people. Yeah, I saw all these people celebrating nine eleven horseshit. And it's like, well, I mean, negativity, negativity and fear sell very easily. Fear sells. But like usually the hope and change thing, when I say hope and change, people think of Obama. Yeah. Bill Clinton had that same slogan. I mean, like hope and change is not a new campaign slogan. Like what? And also, when you look at our past, it's never been perfect. And it's always been kind of a slow moving progression. Yeah. But like we have, while we've had to drag some people kicking and screaming like George Wallace standing in there like on Alabama campus blocking integration physically literally blocking yeah but eventually schools were integrated Mm -hmm. like all this you know all the religious right and gay marriage and God hates facts and stuff well and now marriage equality is a thing yeah this I've never seen such a clear thing of like from Obama to where we are now of like, not just coming to a halt, but truly moving backwards. Yeah. And it is kind of scary. It's such a strong reaction. You know, Obama, I always viewed him as something of a mediator. He always seemed to be, you know, I mean, obviously, as you said, a very strong message of hope and change Mm -hmm. and and leftist ideas, but uh, also seems 
very well suited to trying to bridge a gap between the two parties. Well, he wanted to do that. They yes. wouldn't let him. No, exactly. The, the reaction was so visceral and so strong. And now, you know, the, the pendulum swings in the complete opposite direction. Um, Mitch McConnell. He was the one who went out there and said, we need to deny President Obama. Mitch, you know, term. speaking of like, you know, we were talking about uh, uh, Dick Cheney being the actual Mitch McConnell. What? I, I he that I, I, I apologize hate- for anyone who's a fan of his. That man, I think, is the devil. Well, <laughs> but he's so worthless. Like all he really does is it's like he doesn't seem to do anything but enable or obstruct. Yeah. Whether, you know, like he's no, exactly. enabling Trump, he obstructed Obama. Which is frightening because he's actually a really smart so individual. Well, no, but here's the thing. He's like, Trump, is Trump scary? Yes, sure. Uh, but, do I get him? Yeah, because he's just an egotist. Trump is really just in it for himself oh. and he'll do whatever it takes in the moment mm-hmm. to feel good about himself. I mean, that's, you know, it's classic narcissism. Yeah. Mitch McConnell, to the extent of my knowledge, is is sound of mind yeah he used to stand for stuff he was for civil rights yeah back in the 60s it's just that he has chosen for some reason to take the stance that he's taken which is yeah he's he wants to be obstructionist um or an enabler the fact that like he he came out and said that like uh declaring a national emergency would not be a good thing i will support him yeah yeah, it's like what are you who are you (laughs) what is the point of you yeah i mean really you you know this period whether it ends in 2020 or 2024 or in 2038 who knows oh boy yeah like it will end eventually and this will be looked back on and what are you going to be remembered for yeah you're going to be remembered for letting this happen yeah i mean this i think regardless of the direction that we take as a country it'll be fascinating to see what that direction is uh you know there's no way to not look at this as the breaking point of what what America used to at least think it stood for and represent and the direction we're going to go in. I mean, you know, this is, we're at a path of divergence. Um, It's, it's, it's a frightening and exciting time. He's like a caged animal. Trump or or McConnell? Trump. Trump. McConnell's like the owner of this caged animal. (laughs) But no, but like his tweets. Yeah. Like his tweets yeah. every day tweeting like all yeah. all caps. The media is the worst. Uh, SNL, they can't get away with this. Oh, yeah. Send the comedy police. What are you talking well, about? I, again, and stop tweeting. He's pathologically narcissistic. But Everything he says and does is driven by his intense desire to be noticed and to be, be seen. noticed. He's the president. No. Yeah. But but like <laughs> that's how he got there. You know, I mean, he uh. the, the man is is. He's a whack job, right? Mentally unstable. But not just unstable. Like, you know, this is becoming a real, like, psychosis type thing. Yeah. Like. When it gets worse and worse every day. I mean, you see it. And the fact that, like, he's a fat ass. He's clinically obese now. And yet he has automatons coming out to be like, he's the healthiest president ever. Yeah. How could he be so fucking healthy? He's obese. You can't be obese and be in great health. Again, it's. But why are they saying it? Why are other people saying it? I, there is, some people are just, certain people are zeros. But anytime you have a cult of personality, you look at the individual that that cult revolves around and they're not usually, I mean, they're never sound of mind. They are able to surround themselves with yes men, with sycophants Mm -hmm. who boost them up because when you see someone's star is rising and they're an individual that somehow people are drawn to because of their you know, we, we can say it's charisma yeah. or not. I'm just going to call it charisma that you you are able a to lie to yourself about who you are, but you're also able to convince the people around you 
that you are what you say you are because they know that if they don't say that their jobs and lives are at stake. That's a and that, that's what's way. scary about it. Well, you know, what's fascinating. What? Uh, you know, cause there's, there's fight and flight, right? Mm-hmm. We all know about that. But uh, I was talking to a, a mutual friend of ours and she was saying there's actually two other reactions. I don't remember what all the definitions were, but one is submission. Mm-hmm. And that if you watch footage, I don't know why I've seen all this, but if you watch footage of like people being taken out to be shot. Oh yeah. They don't, run they don't fight they just quietly walk yeah. and they get on their knees when they're told oh, and they make they don't make a peep that's and then us. they're shot in the back of the head and it's just you know and that's an extreme example but there is a human tendency to Go when you feel point. overwhelmed by something and when you just think there's hopeless yeah and when you think well i can't do anything about it is instead of trying to find ways that you can enact change you just kind of sit and let it happen <sighs> that's terrible we're, we're, we're going to be cut species. off in 20 seconds. We are. So uh, Trump is a gift to all these horrible presidents. He is. Because he, now when James everyone. James Buchanan finally won't be worst on the list. Well, maybe. when anyone thinks of bad presidents, they're, they will only be able to think of one person. Truly. Trump. John all right. Kennedy. Well, Christo, thanks for coming on. Thanks and, so much for having me. Yeah. This is the next best thing. Don't go.